This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. While urban areas populate the state of Maine, particularly along the eastern coast of the Atlantic Ocean, there are vast wilderness areas across the state, even along the Oceanside Coast. Popular with tourists, the state and local economies benefit from an influx of $8.2 billion in outdoor recreation dollars. Acadia National Park, called the Crown Jewel of the North Atlantic Coast, draws 4 million visitors annually, ranking in the top 10 most visited national parks in the United States. The park features 27 historic roads, 158 miles of hiking trails, and 45 miles of carriage roads. The Appalachian Trail begins in Maine, with 282 miles of trail before entering New Hampshire. 30 of those miles feature a rare 30-mile stretch, unbroken by roads. You are indeed in the wilderness. Enjoyed by recreationists today, in the past, the wilderness enabled Americans to sustain and support themselves and their families. But nature has always held hidden dangers lurking off the traveled roads, which is as true today as it was over a hundred years ago. Featured in the Portland Daily Press from November 28, 1893, is a somewhat harrowing tale from a trapper touching upon those dangers that still exist today. The article is entitled, Leaf from a Trapper's Life, Experiences of an Old Woodsman in the Maine Woods. There are times in the life of a Maine Woods trapper, said Captain Barker, an old-time Maine Woods trapper, when he would rather catch sight of his old log camp in the wilderness than run up against a gold mine, for the camp can do for him what all the gold mines on the face of the earth couldn't do, save his life. If you ever tried trapping in the Maine Woods in the depth of winter, you would know what I mean. For the sake of illustration, just imagine yourself trapping there. Say during the month of December, there is a foot of snow on the ground. It doesn't require much imagination to see a foot of snow on the ground in the main woods in December. You might multiply by three and get nearer the truth. You have two camps, and if they are 15 miles apart, it will be nothing unusual. Leading from one of these camps to the other, you have two lines of traps. One to the right over Hardwood Mountains, where there is good ground for Sable and Fisher Cat, and the other line is to the left, up a brook and around a small pond, where the otter and beaver and mink work in their various areas ways, and then up another brook valley to the camp. Early in the morning, you take your axe and rifle. 
your bag of bait and your lunch and follow the mountain line of traps while your trapping partner takes the valley line or vice versa, as the case may be. But the results will be the same. The expectation and calculation is that you are to meet each other at the camp before dark and you go into the mountains. It begins to snow at around 10 a.m. Your partner is no difficulty following the way and he will get to camp before dark. Cut the wood for the night, get in the cabin, and build a fire. He will prepare supper, expecting to hear you stamping in before long. But things go differently with you on the mountains. There is more snow up there than in the valley. The traveling is hard. The traps need a good deal of setting over and fixing. For the wild cats have been busy along the line, robbing you of a sable here and a fisher there, which would have been your well-earned trophy. Then, a fisher, held fast in a trap, has dragged it away into the woods, and it takes you a good while to find it. A light wind drives the fast-falling damp snow against the trunks of the trees, and it sticks there so you can't see the blaze marks on them until you have brushed off the snow. By and by, you find a blazed tree and then look ahead and try to make up your mind about which tree to check to see if the next blaze is on it. You pick out a tree you think is the one and you brush off the snow, but no blaze is found there. Then another tree, another brush of the snow, and again, no blaze. You continue this process with several more trees until you finally find another blaze. All this takes much time and only a little distance is covered in the search for the blazes. Almost before you are aware of it, darkness begins to fall around you. Now you have lost the line altogether. You don't know if the line is to the right or the left of you, but you do realize that you are still a long way from camp as the sky continues to darken. You have a compass, but as you don't know your course, it is of no use to you. By this time, you have begun to think that you may have to spend the night out in the mountains. You slip your hands into your pocket to make sure that your matchbox is all safe, and you feel a little faint when you realize it's not there. It must have fallen out of your pocket while you were sleeping on your bunk last night. Never before have you realized the importance of always being sure that you have everything that can possibly be necessary on a tramp when you leave camp. Your situation now cannot be described as a pleasant one. The damp snow through the day, together with the perspiration due to your hard work, has wet your clothing through and through. The snow stops, and the wind has become a howling gate. The snow comes piling down from the trees falling on you, and it stings because it's frozen. You see an occasional star peeking through the scudding clouds, the mercury is liable to tumble down to 25 degrees or 30 below zero before morning. It is madness to think of staying out here all night. You must get to camp or die. You continue to struggle on through the snow that night, fully conscious of the peril of your situation. When out of the bleakness, you suddenly hear the distant report of a rifle. One who has been there knows how sweet the sound of a rifle shot can be to his ears when plunging aimlessly around in the darkness. 
lost in the wintry woods, and what a change it can make in his feelings in an instant. If you ever want to hear music that is sweeter than the sound of the grandest organ, let the sound of a rifle come to your ears under such circumstances. At first, you rush in the direction from which the sound came, then you stop suddenly. The awful thought comes to you that you didn't really hear a rifle shot, but only imagined one. That your nerves are playing tricks, and that you are losing your senses under the strain. Then there is what seems to be an age of torture, but it is really only a moment. Next you hear another shot. This time you no longer doubt your ears or your senses. It is your partner who shot the rifle. Uneasy at your tardiness and fearing for your safety, he signaled in the hope that you would hear. You answer with a shot of your rifle and head for camp, knowing you are saved. Finally, you come out in sight of the camp. Bright sparks are shooting out up in showers out of the smoke hole. It is but a rough, rude log hut, but no illuminated palace of kings could awaken such joy within your breast as that same gut with its blazing fire. The finest dinner that was ever spread could never taste as good as the meal of flapjacks, venison, and black coffee that your trapping partner has ready for you when you knock the snow off of you and go in. And no down feather bed ever brought such a wonderful restful sleep to mortal man as that bed of spruce boughs on the cabin floor will bring to you. So here at In the Wilds, we're usually working from home, as many of you may be, and that's why Factor is great for us. It fits that lifestyle, but even if you are always on the go, Factor is really great for you as well. So just to get into it, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals to support these active days heading into the fall. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. Too busy running around during the day to think about lunch? Keep your energy up with Lunch To Go, effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. Factor offers delicious, flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles, from keto to calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and protein plus, prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. Each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long while meeting your goals. And if you're looking to mix it up, you can add a protein to select vegan and veggie meals each week. Round out your meals and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45-plus add-ons. That includes breakfast items like Factor's delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and potato bacon and egg breakfast skillet. Or, for an easy wellness boost, try refreshing beverage options like cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. Head to factormeals.com slash inthewild50 and use code inthewild50 to get 50% off. That's code inthewild50, one word, inthewild50 at factormeals.com slash inthewild50 to get 50% off. factormeals.com slash inthewild50. And now back to In the Wild. 
While trapping has been replaced by recreational hikers today, the dangers of embarking into the wilderness remain. One hiker from Ohio had a harrowing experience over the Memorial Day weekend in 2010 in Baxter State Park. Baxter State Park, located in north-central Maine, is a large wilderness area permanently protected as a state park. In 1920, a feasibility study was ordered to determine if the site was suitable for a national park. An expedition that included future Governor Percival P. Baxter created great interest in the idea, but political legislation floundered. Baxter, however, wasn't deterred. From 1930 to 1962, Baxter used his own personal funds to purchase tracts then donated the land to the state of Maine under the condition that the grounds be kept forever wild. Today, the lands of Baxter State Park are held in trust, overseen by the park authority. The park is self-funded, utilizing an endowment left by the estate of Percival Baxter and supplemented with user fees, donations, and revenue from the Scientific Forest Management Area. Baxter State Park includes over 209,000 acres and features over 40 mountain peaks. During the summer months, visitorship can exceed 60,000. Baxter State Park is truly a wilderness area. Featuring 215 miles of hiking trails, the park boasts 337 campsites at established campgrounds and backcountry sites. Camping areas are uniquely primitive, offering lean-tos, tent sites, bunkhouses, and an occasional cabin. There is no electricity, and there is no potable water. Hiking, swimming, canoeing, and fishing opportunities are abundant, with cross-country skiing in the winter months. The park includes Maine's highest peak, Mount Katahdin and the mountain is considered the centerpiece of the park at 5,269 feet, measured at Baxter Peak. The mountain's other peak, named South Peak, measures 5,240 feet. Pomola Peak, attainable along the most popular route to Baxter Peak, has an elevation of 4,919 feet. Roaring Brook Campsite is one of the park's most popular campgrounds, a popular trailhead for Mount Katahdin. The hike to Katahdin is a 9.3-mile loop with stopping points at Pomola Peak and Katahdin's Baxter Peak. The trail is strenuous and requires scrambling. You can arrive at the campground by car. Some sites are situated on Roaring Brook. There are nine lean-tos, ten tent sites, and a ten-person bunkhouse. A hiker permit card is required to hike the trail, and there is no fee, but it is limited to 3,150 permits per year. Setting off for a day hike from Roaring Brook, Michael arrived on the Friday of the Memorial Day weekend in 2010. Michael was an experienced hiker, having climbed the highest peaks of the Appalachian Trail in North Carolina, Virginia, and New York. He was excited to summit Katahdin's Baxter Peak, via Pomola Peak, but admitted he did not know what to expect from the climb. Michael set off with plenty of clothing, a compass, a flashlight, food, water, a pocket knife, and also a first aid kit. 
He failed to pack a fire starter kit, bug repellent, and a detailed trail map. Michael also decided against carrying a GPS system, leaving it in his car. He erroneously thought he would rely on his phone, but Baxter State Park has little cell service coverage. The ascent went according to his plans. Michael summited Pomola via the Helen Taylor Trail, and then Baxter Peak at the top of Mount Katahdin via the notorious Knife Edge Trail. Listed at 1.1 miles with an elevation gain of 365 feet, it is a very technical hike. From Pomola Peak, the Knife Edge descends steeply down jagged boulders, followed by a steep climb before leveling out. The trail is sometimes only 4 feet wide, with 2,000-foot drops on both sides. Hikers need to focus on the climb at hand and be agile. Successfully summiting rewards you with spectacular views in all directions. During his descent, things began to go wrong for Michael. Self-admittedly, he made what he called the stupidest decision I ever made in my life. He ventured off the trail looking for a shortcut back to Roaring Brook. He thought he was following a valley down a 45-degree slope, scattered with large flat slabs of granite jutting up from the surface. Scrambling through the rock field, he slipped on a wet patch, fell, and slid 20 feet into a granite slab, shattering his kneecap, though he was unaware of his injury's severity at that moment. Michael taped up his knee and the other scrapes he received during the fall. He could walk slowly but painfully by keeping his left leg straight, planting his left foot, and striding with his right leg. Checking his phone for cell service, he found it was non-existent, and therefore useless. He found a stream and followed it, hoping it would lead back to the campground. He knew his life was in peril. He had left the well-established trail and injured himself. By nightfall, Michael knew he had to overnight in the woods. He bundled up with every piece of clothing that he had, put his gloves on his feet, and covered himself with a poncho. His knee continued to bleed whenever he flexed his injured leg. Michael knew he had screwed up. He regretted his lack of preparation in packing correctly, and above all, for leaving the trail. It was a stupid and careless mistake one he hoped would not bring fatal consequences. Since 1963, 19 people have died on Mount Katahdin, and he was determined not to be the 20th. On Saturday, a full-scale search and rescue operation began when he failed to return from the hike. Remember the permit check-in system Baxter State Park employs to restrict access to Katahdin? When Michael failed to return, park officials launched rescue efforts, joined by over 30 volunteer searchers. Michael heard aircraft and helicopters, but could never spot one to signal. He shouted for help, hoping to be heard, but never was. Saturday night came, and Michael settled in for another long, cold night. On Sunday, Michael knew he made yet another mistake, reversed course and headed for higher ground to increase his chances for rescuers to spot him. He found a forest clearing formed by a previous forest fire, and soon after, a helicopter spotted his orange poncho. Upon rescue, Michael knew he was lucky. 
He praised the park staff, the park check-in system, and everyone involved with his safe return. But he blamed himself for his lack of preparation, especially for leaving the trail. Baxter State Park compiled search and rescue data between 1992 and 2014, and the data presented points to some interesting facts. As with many recreational areas such as state and national parks, the study pointed out visitors arrive with a wide range of fitness levels and health status. Hiking is not usually a high-risk activity, but the dangers increase with lack of experience, poor fitness, and existing medical conditions. The study determined injuries, followed by fatigue and exhaustion, are most likely to lead to a search and rescue operation with the mitigating factors of lack of preparation and planning, lack of essential supplies carried by the hiker, and poor to non-existent cell coverage within the park. The author noted, Many visitors to Baxter State Park, home of Maine's highest peak, Mount Katahdin, aspire to summit the mountain and often underestimate the physical conditioning and supplies necessary for navigating the rugged terrain. The terrain within the park is rough. Rudy, rocky, and steep, with hikers often overconfident of their abilities or misjudging the harshness of the wilderness environment. It is also interesting to note that a vast majority of the search and rescue efforts were needed during the descent stage of a hike, not the ascent. Of the 19 fatalities, 11 were due to medical emergencies, 3 were suicides, 2 from traumatic injuries, 2 from drownings, and 1 from a lightning strike. Whenever you depart into the wilderness, no matter how safe or well-traveled the trail may seem, preparation is vital for survival. One needs the appropriate maps of the area and the ability to read and navigate using those maps and a compass. One's backpack must be fully stocked, not only for what you need for the day's outing, but also for unplanned extended and survival situations. Your preparations may mean the difference between life and death in the wild. Thank you for tuning in to another exciting installment of In the Wild. To hear more captivating stories of real-life survival, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Stay prepared because you never know when you may find yourself in the wild.